turn to Joshua 24. You'll notice there are 24 chapters in Joshua, and we've come to the end. Uh, I, I hope and pray that you were blessed and have been blessed by our study of the gospel according to, um, to Joshua. Lord willing, we're going to be starting our series on Philippians in a few weeks. And so I would encourage you to read through Philippians a few times before then so that you'll be better acquainted with it uh, as we look at that great book uh, together. If you're using the Pew Bible, the ESU Pew Bible, you'll find that on 251. And the NIV Pew Bible, which is in the pew back in front of you, you'll find that on 368. Um, It's a longer chapter, so we're going to read it as we go. And so let me pray for us as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word. That by it you direct us to yourself and that you give us life. That as your spirit works it and kneads it into our heart, that you grant us grace and grow us in your grace and feed our faith. So Father, this morning we come expectantly, we come prayerfully, that you might do that again this morning. That we might see our Savior once again crucified and risen through these, these words, your word. And Father, I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray all these things in the name of our Redeemer, Jesus. Amen. Well, there are a lot of reasons why we run after idols. Idols uh, are anything that we look to for satisfaction and significance, for meaning and purpose uh, outside of our risen Lord. There are a lot of reasons that we run after counterfeit gods to find our significance, our meaning, our identity. The sirens, or excuse me, the, the idols are a lot like the sirens. Was it the Iliad or the Odyssey? I can't remember. The, the sirens calling that look pretty from afar, but really just want to see you dashed upon their rocks. Fear can lead us to idols. Um, we may feel fear, fear failure, the disapproval of, disapproval of others, or security for the future. We may even have a lack of faith that will lead us to idols that we believe, fail to believe that God will take care of us even when we fail. That God will um, help us when things are hard or, or help us when, when we need provision or perhaps even pride, which certainly I think undergirds all idols that we would make pride, uh, would fuel a desire to have success above all things or to see ourselves as better than others and therefore worthy of everybody's approval and attention. But I think beneath all of these things is one common denominator. And it's what we find in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, Paul is going to um, speak against idolatry in very uh, amazing and profound words. And And he says this there in Romans 1, verses 21 through 23. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. There we find these two reasons, and one I want to focus on today, of not honoring God as God and not being thankful to God. Let me ask you something. What is your heart captivated by? 
For what your heart is captivated by is the very thing that you will serve and worship. We fight this this battle each and every day of our lives. This question that Joshua is going to put to the Israelites here in chapter 24, this last covenant renewal service before he dies, whom will you serve? But before he goes in to ask them this question, he is going to go through a litany of all that God has done for them. See, a heart that is filled up with thankfulness to the Lord will be inoculated. We'll be able to resist the call of idols and we'll be able to see through them for what they are. The more and more that our hearts are captivated by the, by the Lord and what he has done for us, we will be able to stand strong and to say no to idols that call our attention. I was recently in the uh, parking lot of Peach Ford. Uh, we were trying to get some work done on the van And if you ever go into a parking lot, especially of a really big dealership, you'll notice that they have cars that look exactly the same. There may be 20 Dodge Caravans. The only thing that seems to set them apart uh, is the color on the outside. But but do you know how to tell the difference between one of these cars? I think it's the passenger side window. They have to list everything that they've done to this car. You know, they they think of the wildest things to include that should be standard to to make you want to buy these vehicles. And so you go and you read, oh, oh, I need this and this and this and this. And it looks gorgeous. But unless you compare it with the next one, you'll never know if you're getting the best one or not. In these first 13 verses of Joshua 24, the Lord is going to give you a litany Give the Israelites a description of all that he has done for them, all the benefits that he's done for them. And then he's going to ask them to choose. To choose to follow idols or to follow the Lord. And indeed, this is a question we face each and every day, moment by moment sometimes. Whom will we worship? Whom will we serve? Is it the Lord or will we follow idols? Our hearts are going to be captivated by something. Our hearts are going to be captivated by something, one way or the other. But the more we realize what God has done for us and who He is, the more our hearts will be captivated by Him. It's not something that is going to come naturally. It is something we have to fight for. For our hearts to be captivated by the Lord takes effort. It takes remembering what He has done for us. And it is only as we remember what He's done for us will we be able to stand against the idols. Because see, a thankful heart leads to contentment. A thankful heart leads to contentment. And if you have a content heart, you won't be looking for satisfaction and significance elsewhere. How else could Paul say in in Philippians 4, 10 through 13, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so we come to our text. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 24 of Joshua. Hear now the word of the Lord. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. 
I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau to the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of all of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam the son of Beor to curse you, but I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand, and you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. And the two kings, the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored in cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. In order to inform their decision of whom they would serve, to call them to turn away from worshiping idols and to serve and to worship the Lord, The Lord God, he is a speaker here, through Joshua, is going to remind them all that he has done. He reminds them in verses 2 through 4, all the way back to their fathers, from Abraham, who was called out of a pagan world, worshiping foreign idols. I've called you and your people out of foreign worship. I've called you away from from worshiping idols. Now don't go back to it. Your forefathers, they did. And upon their conversion, I called them away from it, and they worship me. Now don't go back to what they did. And this God, he he called Abraham and Sarah and he gave them a great nation. He gave them offspring to Sarah who was barren. And then we see in verses 5 through 7, jumping forward about 400, 430 years in Egypt. when, When God's people were enslaved in Egypt... Did they not remember just one generation back how how they had been enslaved and working for Pharaoh? And what did God do? When they called out to God, he sent Moses and Aaron who would go and free the people. And he sent ten plagues, the last of which was the death of the firstborn of all males in Egypt. And when Pharaoh and his soldiers, his horsemen and his chariots, as the text says, as they followed him, followed uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, and they cornered them at the Red Sea, what did he do? The same waters that were used for the deliverance of Israel, the same waters were used for the destruction of their enemies. But let's not forget all the wilderness years we see in verses 8 through 10. How the Lord had been faithful to them every step of the way. There's so much missing here. He doesn't even mention the manna. Or the numerous times they had rebelled against the Lord and His anointed and He had forgiven them. But He highlights here the defeat of Og and Sihon, the Amorite kings. And it is in their land that they had been dwelling for quite some time. The Lord had been with them every step of the way. Whenever an enemy came up, He would defeat them for them. And then they'd entered into the land. And remember, they they walked through the dry land of the Jordan River. 
And when they got there and they were opposed by Jericho, Ai, Hazor, and all these other places, did they have to fear ever? No. The Lord was with them every step of the way. Every set of ites had been taken care of that came up against the Lord. It was not their bow, it was not their sword that had done it. They had nothing to claim for themselves. He had sent the hornet uh, before them. We're not even really sure what that means or what the reference is. But you get the picture of a hornet or hornets chasing an enemy away. God had taken care of all of it. And so in light of all this, Joshua's going to ask them in a second, whom will you serve? Whom will you serve? Having a heart that is full of thankfulness to the Lord is the best way to be prepared to say no to idols. Even as we think about our past, even as we think about all the things that we have to be thankful for, for we have so many things to be thankful for. The first here is that Israel is our history. The church is Israel. We have been engrafted in as Gentiles. And now this history is our history. But, but, but skipping ahead several hundreds of years to the coming of, of Jesus... The coming of Jesus when he died on the cross for our sins. If if we have nothing else to be thankful for, it is this. To be vulnerable with you, there are several things in my life that that bring me great joy when I think of them. When I'm having a hard day. One of them is my wedding day. And seeing Christy, those doors open. And as she walked uh, down towards uh, the pulpit. It, just, it never fails to bring a smile to my face. And the birth of our two children, um, we feared for Thomas's life and his uh, delivery, and then we feared for Chrissy's life and Lizzie's delivery. And so their safe delivery just brings me such joy. But does the gospel bring more joy to my heart? Is there anything else in your life that brings you more joy than the gospel? Has the gospel become dull? Has the gospel become just um, you know, these, these phrases that we throw out a lot? You know, Christ died on the cross for our sins. and It's almost like one word when we say them. Have we forgotten what happened at Golgotha? Have we forgotten what happened when the one who created all things was nailed to two pieces of wood, bolted together? Have we forgotten that the the skies turned dark and the earth, it quaked? And as bad as the pain was physically, the pouring out of God's wrath upon his son, his own son, his only begotten son, for sinners like me and like you. Is that fresh to us anymore? If if the gospel is fresh to us, if we're filled with thankfulness for what he has done for us, then these false gods, these paltry gods, these small things, like someone's approval, or the next and greatest material possession, these things will have no hold over us because our hearts will be captivated by the costly salvation that we received in Christ 
and the free gift that we have received it as. Do you see that the, the greatest way to fight idolatry in our hearts is through a heart that has been captivated in thankfulness for what the Lord has done for us? He didn't stop at salvation. He continues to care for us now with provision. How many times has he provided for us when our material, physical, emotional, or spiritual resources were dangerously low? How many times has his presence been with us when we were lonely, downcast, or forgotten by others? How many times by his providence has he directed our paths to just the right person, moment, or decision? How many times has he delivered us by his grace and mercy from things we deserved, from fierce temptation and the wiles of the evil one? It is a life that, is, that reflects upon what God has already done for us. That when we see idols, we will see them what they are. It's nothing comparable to what we have in Christ. See, this is the thing, that a thankful heart, it inoculates us from idols, but it also helps us see right through them. It gives us x-ray vision, as it were. We have a uh, missions trip that we're trying to plan up for next summer, and I, and I strongly encourage you to consider going with us and praying about where we should go. If you have suggestions, come and tell us. Uh, missions trips will change your life, not only the people you go and minister to, but yours as well. And one of my, my life was changed by one trip I went to um, in China in, uh, in college. Um, but there's an anecdote out of there I want to share. And it's this, that when I went to China, I didn't really like coffee. But when I got there, you know what I craved? I craved coffee. And the reason is you can't get it in China. Well, one morning we went to breakfast, and guess what was there? Coffee. Now, it wasn't coffee like we know it. It was instant coffee in this little uh, tube, and it had the sugar and the creamer already mixed in it. How convenient. So I poured the hot water over it, and y'all, it was the best cup of coffee I'd ever had. Hands down, ever. So I talked to one of the students. I said, where did you get this from? I have to have this. And so she took me to the store where she bought it on campus, and I bought three boxes of this stuff. They were two dozen packets in each one. And I was thinking, even now, I'm going to have to ration this stuff out because it is so good. So I came home. I brought home three boxes of this nasty, wonderful stuff. And, you know, I had other cups of coffee. And then I remembered, I've got this, this, this jewel, the best coffee ever made. You have to have some of this. And so I pulled it out, and I made a cup. And you know what? It was disgusting. Now, why did I know it wasn't any good? Because I knew the real thing. I knew that there was better coffee out there. Now, here's the thing. A heart that is captivated by the true blessings of our God sees right through the lies that the false gods tell us. That instant air sets, the, the nastiness coffee, could not compare to the real thing. And y'all, the, the success that this world offers, the material possession that this world offers, these things pale in comparison to what we have in Christ. Why would we go and serve them? And this is the question that Joshua is going to ask in verses 14 to 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in, wh- in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
He gives them three options. There are three sets of false gods here. You have the ones in Mesopotamia that Abraham and, and, and Terah and his family all served before God called them in Genesis chapter 12. And then you have the, the, the um, gods of Egypt. Then you have the gods of the Amorites, the Canaanites that they have just defeated. Now let's consider these gods. Why in the world would they go back to worshiping the gods of Abraham and Terah and others? Had they been able to bless Sarah with, with children? No. Only the Lord God did. Or why in the world would they worship the gods of Egypt? Where had the gods of Egypt been when the, when the son of Pharaoh died, himself a demigod in their own view? Where, was, where were the Egyptian gods when, when all of Pharaoh's army was wiped out in the waters of the Red Sea? Where were their gods? And where were the gods of the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Hivites and all the other ites? Where were they when God's fury was being poured upon them? These are false gods. Why would you ever serve them? You can only and must only and shall only serve the Lord your God. And I, as Joshua, am going to set the example and say, I and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now let me ask you this question. What do the gods of this world have to offer you? Because it's just as silly as running after the gods of Mesopotamia, of Egypt, and the Amorites. Even if you make the cool million next year, what then? Do you think your heart will be satisfied? Even if you get the new truck, what then? Next year it'll be a year older, and one day it'll rust and break, and so will your heart if you worship it. Even if everyone likes you and approves of you, what then? You'll be as insecure as when you began because your value is still tied to the opinions of others, which is fickle. Even if you become the best baseball player, football player, what then, what percentage goes on to play in the big leagues? And even then, have you seen a big league player that was genuinely happy? Even if you find the so-called perfect spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend, what then? They can't satisfy your heart. They can't do it. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This is the question that we are faced with every moment of every day. Who will we serve? Who will we follow? We may, as believers, follow the big picture, Jesus. We are secure in Jesus. But those moments and moments of our life are found in great insecurity as we forget who we are and our identity that we already have in Christ. That we are God's adopted sons. So this is the question he puts to the uh, Israelites. And I put it to you. Whom, whom are you serving? What has captivated your hearts? Well, in the interest of time, let me read verses um, 16 through 18, and I commend the rest of the chapter to you later. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way that we have went, and among all the peoples through whom we have passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. So faced with the decision, when you put it like this, how could you not choose the Lord? And so they chose that day, to respond in love, not duty. Thankfulness, not obligation. They chose to serve the Lord. The question is, whom will you serve? Whom will you serve? 
Whom are you serving? If you're like me, your day is filled with both successes and failures in this department. And my successes seem to fall right after the failures when I repent and God gives me grace to return back to him. And then increasingly I forget all that he's done for me and turn right back to those things that do not satisfy. It's a daily fight. But God gives you grace. And he has forgiven you if you're in Christ Jesus that he might give you strength to fight those idols. To the unbeliever here this morning, um, I would call you to serve the Lord, to love the Lord, and to find your salvation in the Lord. For the things that this world says will satisfy, they won't. And even if perchance they would satisfy you in this world, they will not do you any good at the time of your death. It is only the blood of Jesus that can get us through the the Red Sea of God's wrath. For Jesus has taken it upon himself. And he has served perfectly for us. That those who call upon the Lord, he has fulfilled the law for them. And so therefore it's not about being good enough to be loved by God. You'll never be good enough to be loved by God. You are loved by God and he has sent his son to die for you. Call upon Jesus today. And just as Joshua called the question that day and made them decide that day, I encourage you to make the decision today as God works in your heart by the Holy Spirit to call upon him. Remember, he loved you before you ever loved him. And he loves you enough to send his son to die for you. Whom will you serve? And whose name will you stand on that day of judgment? Only one will do, and that's Jesus. Before the believer, cast your eyes to what is to come. We have much to be thankful for, but the one thing that I mentioned earlier was we have thankfulness to where this world's heading. It's heading to the day of Christ's return. The day in which these slight momentary afflictions they are preparing for us, for this eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. Look to that day and be thankful for what is to come. For, for Jesus wins. Even as we sang earlier, of the true promised land, on the other side of the Jordan, no chilling winds nor poisonous breath can reach that helpful shore where sickness, sorrow, pain, and death are felt and feared no more. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Father, we thank you that Jesus is coming, and we pray that he would come soon. Lord, that this, these pilgrim days would, be, would come to a close in the pain and death, the sickness and sorrow that we know now that these days would soon be over. But Father, help us to walk in, with thankful hearts. Help us, Lord, to, to cast our gaze once more and be captivated by our Savior and all that he has done for us. Lord, that in doing so, we might be able to withstand the temptations of the evil one. That we might be able to turn away from idolatry of people, of things, of status, of wealth, whatever it is, Lord that we might walk with you all the days of our lives. We pray all these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.